Well, 1 Peter chapter number 1 tonight. I invite you to turn your Bibles there once again as we continue our study through this New Testament epistle of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. Actually, I want to, I want to back up a few verses here to kind of get the context. Verse number 5 says to those who are believers, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now remember from our study last week, verse 6 starts with the word wherein, and that's talking, referring back to the salvation mentioned in verse 5. We rejoice in our salvation, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now again, verses 10 through 12 are our text for this evening. And Peter is continuing in the same vein of thought, talking about our salvation. In the previous uh, verses, verses 6 through 9, he was talking about how we rejoice in this salvation even though we are in the midst of trials. And you may remember from our study last week that Siri interrupted me to tell me she didn't understand. I had to agree with her a little bit. I think I've got her turned off tonight though so she won't be bothering us. But in verses 10 through 12, he continues talking about salvation and he make some very interesting comments here about the Old Testament prophets and what they wrote about our salvation and their view of it. And then he also at the very end mentions something about the angels. But really in the middle of that, he emphasizes the point that this, this salvation is what has been preached to us by the Holy Ghost. And really what, what he's highlighting here is the fact that salvation for the Old Testament saints was somewhat of a mystery. And even to the angels in heaven to this day, it remains somewhat of a mystery to them. They don't really have a full comprehension of our salvation. The, the title of the lesson tonight is The Wonderful Mystery of Salvation. You know, many people love a good mystery story. Combines our our natural curiosity with the thrill of a of a whodunit plot line. And so people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who who wrote, of course, Sherlock Holmes and other 
uh, famous uh, mystery writers have become rich and famous writing these kinds of stories, and they've stood the test of time and excited many generations of readers because everyone loves a good mystery. But there's one kind of mystery that's even more thrilling and more wonderful than even the best Sherlock Holmes caper, and that is the mystery of our salvation. How many of you would say, I, I understand everything about the gospel and salvation. It all makes perfect sense to me. Anybody in here, that's, you're, you've got it all figured out? Okay, good. I was going to let you come teach if that was the case. If you're like me, and I think you are, there are parts of the gospel that, that are kind of a mysterious aspect. So to me, the one that comes to mind at the very beginning is why? Why would God love you and me so much that he would send Jesus to die on the cross for us? What did he get out of that deal? And that's just one part, and there are many parts of the gospel that, to be honest, we just have to accept them by faith. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of salvation, is a mystery to us, but yet God has revealed enough to us so that we can accept it by faith and be saved. The gospel was foretold in the Old Testament, even if the details were not clearly seen until it was fulfilled by Jesus. And even still, though, there are aspects that are hard to fully comprehend. And, and even the angels, as these verses say, look on with curiosity. But it's this wonderfully mysterious salvation that we have received and that we get to share with the world. So for our outline tonight, Roman numeral one is the inquiry of the prophets. The inquiry of the prophets. Verse 10 starts, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Many people have the mistaken idea that the Old Testament and the New Testament are somehow, they're just completely different and there's really no connection between them. That's a very wrong view of Scripture. The Old Testament and the New Testament are inseparably linked. A couple years ago, Andy Stanley made the statement in the course of a study that he was doing with his church, and it became national news in Christian circles because of the audacity of it. He said, we need to unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament. Basically what he was saying is we don't need the Old Testament anymore because we have the New Testament. And based on what other things that he said, um, it, he, he's been very clear that he doesn't think the Old Testament really has anything to do with Christians today. We don't really need it, essentially. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. So how can you say we have to believe the New Testament, but yet you don't believe what the New Testament says about the Old Testament? The Old Testament is vital. And when you go back to the Old Testament, you find that all throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies of the coming Messiah, of the gospel, and of salvation by grace through faith. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3 and I'll show you what is the very, the very first prophecy of Jesus' birth. Genesis chapter 3 and it's verse number 15. This is after Adam and Eve have sinned. God has come to the garden and He has basically 
doling out the punishment. He's telling Adam and Eve and, and the serpent what the consequences will be. And speaking to the serpent, he says this in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Notice the language here. God said to the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity, that is animosity, between you and the the woman's seed. Notice that language. Thy seed and her seed. The seed of a woman. Why is that significant? Well, because everyone that has been born, with the exception of Jesus Christ, has been the seed, the offspring of both a man and a woman. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can rightly have been said to be the seed of a woman. The doctrine of the virgin birth. And so Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy of that. And from there, all throughout the Old Testament Scripture, there are literally hundreds of prophecies about Jesus and about how God would save mankind and about the gospel and how that it would all be by grace through faith. One scholar by the name of J. Barton Payne estimates that there are over 570 verses in the Old Testament. Another said it was 456. But conservatively, we can say there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming Messiah. Now, verse number 10 tells us that these prophets, they prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So when we read in the New Testament about grace through faith, that's not a new idea. It's been there all along. Some of you may be familiar with the term dispensationalism or the dispensations. I am a dispensationalist, by the way, but I also get the liberty of defining my own terms, okay? (laughs) Some people mistakenly think, if you're a dispensationalist, that you believe that in the Old Testament, people were saved by works, and in the New Testament, people are saved by grace. That's not the biblical truth. But the truth is that at different times, God has required different things of man. So you did not bring a lamb tonight to offer as a sacrifice to God because we live in a new age, a different era. And some people who call themselves dispensationalists mistakenly say that we're now living in the age of grace as opposed to the Old Testament or other ages when it was different. Can I say to you that all of human history is the age of grace There has never been a time when salvation was not by grace through faith. It's always been that way. Always. And that's what Peter says here. They, the Old Testament prophets, prophesied of the grace that's been preached unto you. It's all the same. Now, notice in verse number 11, it says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. How were these prophecies, how did these prophecies come to be? Well, it was the Holy Spirit who moved these writers. He spoke through them so that they testified beforehand of all the things that Christ would accomplish. The Holy Spirit moved these writers. 
In his next letter, in 2 Peter that is, Peter's going to go into more detail when we get there in the future, Lord willing, when we get there. Uh, we'll talk in detail about this, but 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, but holy men of old spake as... Uh, holy men of God, rather, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost moved these men to write the very words that God wanted them to write. So that the words they wrote were the words of God. Your next blank there, this is the doctrine of inspiration. Inspire, the Greek word is theopanoustos, God breathed. So that the, what they wrote was actually the words of God. When we say that the Bible is God's Word, we don't mean that figuratively. We mean that literally. We mean that literally what we read in the Bible are the very words that God inspired and preserved so that we can know what He wants us to know. Some people have the idea that inspiration is uh, just kind of a natural thing. Like you might say an artist who saw a pretty mountain was inspired to paint a picture of the mountain. And so some men were thinking about God and they were inspired to write of Him. That's not biblical inspiration. That's natural inspiration. Biblical inspiration is supernatural inspiration where God moved through these men as they wrote the words of Scripture so that they were the very words of God. It's infallible, the Bible is. It's without error. And it is sufficient because it gives us everything we need to know about God and what He expects of us. If you want to know more about God, you will find it all right here. Not everything there is to know, but everything that God wants you to know. It's all found in the pages of Scripture. Again, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And by the way, the man of God there is not talking about you know, a high office like a, uh, you know, we think of, oh, he's a man of God. It's just simply talking about a person to whom uh, that belongs to God, a person that belongs to God. So whether it's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, if you're saved, the Scripture has been given so that you could be perfect, so that you could have everything you need to be what God, what God wants you to be. Now these prophets, now we get to the inquiry part of this, though they prophesied about it, they did not know everything that they were writing. Notice what he says there in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 10, they inquired and searched diligently in the scriptures that they wrote. They were searching, verse number 11, for the manner of time and the, the details about these things. And there's a good, under, a good example of this found in Daniel chapter 9. Verse number 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Does it strike you as interesting that Daniel was studying the book of Jeremiah? The same book of Jeremiah that you and I read, Daniel studied it. It was in a different language for him. It's been translated for us. But he actually had to study scripture. Think about that. Even though Daniel was a writer of scripture, he didn't understand all the details. He didn't know everything there was to know about the Bible. 
And there were instances where the writers of Scripture would write things as the Holy Spirit would move them, and even after they wrote them, they would say, huh, I wonder what that means. And they'd have to go back, and they'd have to search, and they'd have to study. If they had to inquire and search diligently, think about this, if the authors of Scripture, the penmen that is, had to search diligently to understand the words of Scripture, even words they, they themselves wrote, how much more do you and I need to study Scripture to understand it? To think that we're just going to be able to read through a chapter of this Bible and come away with a perfect understanding is, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. Listen, I have I've been studying the Bible for a few years now. And I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. I was involved from the earliest age in the Awana program. I was an Awana cubby, all right? And uh, I went all the way through our, our, our church. It went through the junior varsity and, uh, and then into the high school program, which was different. And, and I have been reading the Bible. I've been memorizing verses. I've been studying the Bible for several decades now. And I can't tell you how often as I am going through Scripture, I see things that I never saw before. I'm like, wow, that's cool. I never saw it like that. I never noticed that verse. I never, never got this connection. And no matter how long you study the Bible, there will always be something more that you can learn from it. Jesus said in John 5, 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. In Acts chapter 17, it says that the Berean believers were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of the Lord with a readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. We need to be students of the Word. But what were these prophets studying specifically that, that Peter is referring to here? One of the things that they studied was the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation. They wrote about the coming Messiah. They wrote about His sufferings. They wrote about the glory that would follow. But there were things about it that didn't make sense to them and they had to dig into it. Since the first prophecy was given in Genesis 3.15, all the way through the Old Testament, there were prophecies all over the place. One of the major details they didn't know and, and that Peter talks about here was the timing. The timing. Because one of the, he says, specifically says they searched diligently what manner of time, what, the, what time this was going to happen. And really, after Genesis 3.15, the Messiah could have come at any point. Now, we know theologically that God already had a perfect time figured out. And the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, was not going to come before then. But from the human standpoint, it could have happened at any moment. And they, the Old Testament prophets, didn't even know when is the Messiah coming. Many of them expected Him to come in their generation. And so they looked and they studied and they tried to understand when is He going to come. And yet the prophecies continued to be repeated all the way through the book of Malachi. And at the end of the book of Malachi, there was 400 years of silence when there was no new revelation. So what is simply a divider page in our Bible was 400 years of human history. And Jesus could have come at any point during that time from the human standpoint. 
They didn't know when Jesus would come. For all they knew, the Messiah could be there at any moment. And I couldn't help but think about how it's very similar with us today. We know that Jesus will come again. We just don't know exactly when. As far as we know, it could happen at any moment. That's the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ. Now, God the Father has already chosen that perfect moment, and it will happen according to His perfect plan. But for all we know, it could happen at any moment. Now, one thing they did know, that is the Old Testament prophets, as they studied about our salvation, they did know this. Peter says that what they wrote that was not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things. The prophets understood that what they wrote was for the benefit of future generations. That's the nature of prophecy in general. This is what's going to happen in the future. They wrote for our benefit so that we could look back and see what has happened and that it has happened according to how God planned it all along. You know, when we read in Scripture the Old Testament prophets and what they said, and then we read the story of Christ, it's amazing how many prophecies were fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The odds of that happening by chance, are astronomical. It is more likely for you to win the lottery and get struck by lightning on the same day than it is for all of those prophecies to accidentally be fulfilled. It's a mathematical impossibility. It confirms to us that the Bible is true. It's the Word of God. And furthermore, it helps us to have faith in the promises that God has given us, and the prophecies of the future that have not been fulfilled. Romans 15.4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now, one of the best passages, turn with me to Isaiah 53. If you were to go to one passage in the Old Testament, to preach the gospel from. This, I think, would probably be at the top of the list. Isaiah 53. Verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, who is the he? It's talking about the coming Messiah, the Savior. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel, folks. 
We are all sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. The penalty for sin is death. That's what we deserve. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ took our sin and the penalty. Verse 6 again, The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. I'm sorry, Mr. Andy Stanley, I'm not going to unhitch myself from Isaiah 53. That is the gospel. And though those Old Testament prophets may not have fully understood it like we do today, they didn't know the when and all of the how and all of the details, they knew it was true. And we get to look back now and see how it was all fulfilled. They had to simply believe by faith that it would be. You know, the salvation that if you know Christ as your Savior, the salvation that you possess is so wonderful that the prophets of old devoted much time and energy just trying to understand it. We have the benefit of looking back. We know that Jesus came, when He came, how He died, that He rose again. But there's a danger that we could lose the wonder of salvation because it's so familiar to us. Instead, we should rejoice that we've been saved and that we can have a better understanding than even they did. Number two now, the delivery of the preaching, or the delivery through preaching, rather. 1 Peter 1.12 says, which are now reported, the things that the prophets wrote for us about salvation, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Now here's a question. How did we as New Testament saints receive the truth about salvation by grace through faith so clearly? How did we receive it? Well, the gospel was preached by those who witnessed it and it was confirmed by the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders. That's what he's saying in the beginning part of verse number 12. Who was it that stood up on the day of Pentecost and delivered that sermon? Who was it? Peter, the guy who wrote this book. So when he talks about the Holy Spirit being involved in the preaching of the gospel, he knows exactly what he's talking about. He was there. He experienced it. Acts 2.14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. And from there he began to preach the gospel to them. He preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. And His message was validated that day by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they had the miraculous ability to speak in other languages that they had never learned. They didn't have Google Translate, by the way. That's why they had to have the Holy Spirit here to do this. Because they had all of these different people groups that were in. And Acts chapter 2 lists some of the language groups that were there. And everybody thought, these people are crazy or drunk or something. Here they are babbling on, but yet everybody's saying, wait a second, I can hear them in my own language. That was the Holy Spirit validating the message of the gospel. Now, notice the connections here between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament preachers. The Old Testament prophets foretold of the coming of Christ, of His suffering, of salvation by grace through faith. But Peter was clear to say that it was actually the Spirit of Christ that was in them 
that was doing it. The New Testament apostles and those who preached of the risen Savior proclaimed that Jesus had come, that he would, that he had suffered, that he did die, and that he rose again. But it was really the Holy Spirit working through them to deliver the message and confirm it with the signs. The message and the messenger is actually the same. It's the message of the gospel, the messenger of the Holy Spirit. He's just using different mouthpieces in these two instances. Here's the point. The gospel message is consistent in its content and in its delivery. It's still God's chosen method that the gospel be delivered through preaching by people who are under the control of the Holy Spirit. That has always been God's message and method, and it still is today. Now that preaching may take on various forms. Maybe you're preaching online. Maybe you're preaching via text. They didn't have that in Bible times, but it is still a believer proclaiming the gospel to the lost. That's God's chosen method for getting the gospel out to the world. Maybe it's being preached in written form, in the form of a letter or a track or something like that. But the gospel is to be communicated by people who are under the control of the Holy Spirit to those who do not yet know Christ as their Savior. You can look, for time's sake, we won't go there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching. The world thinks it's ridiculous. But that's the method that God has chosen to save those that believe. Now, if you're saved tonight, it's because someone proclaimed the gospel to you in some fashion. Anyone who's ever trusted Christ had someone share the message of the gospel with them in some way. You have been blessed to benefit from this process, but now that you are saved, you also have the blessing of being a part of the process by going and sharing the message with others and doing for someone else what a person did for you. Now, let's tie this back into the thought of it being a mystery because Paul does say that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Will the world think that the gospel is weird, silly, foolish, absurd? Yes, many times the lost will not understand the gospel message. To them, it will be mysterious even to the point of being absurd. But when the Holy Spirit again steps in and works in their heart to convince them of the truth of the gospel, to convince them of that truth that you are a sinner and you need a Savior and Jesus Christ, God the Son, is that Savior who died and was buried and rose again for you. When the Holy Spirit does that work in a person's heart, they then can accept Christ as their Savior. And the good news is the Holy Spirit is still working today to empower God's people to deliver the message of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, and to enable the lost to understand it. Look, as we seek to share the gospel with others, we cannot forget the fact that without the Holy Spirit convicting their hearts, they're not going to get it. We must obey and be faithful to proclaim the message, but we depend on the Lord to do the work in their heart. Roman numeral 3. We'll notice finally the very last phrase in verse number 12. 
the curiosity of the angels here. The last phrase of that verse says, which things the angels desire to look into. What things? Talking about salvation. Salvation by grace, the gospel. And it says that the angels desire to look into it. The gospel is such a wonderful mystery that even the angels in heaven are curious to know more about it. The word that's translated look here has the idea of bending over to peer into something. And the same exact word is used in the gospels to describe how Peter examined the empty tomb. Listen to Luke 24, verse 12. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. The, the word stooping down, that's the same word that Peter used to describe what the angels are doing now, looking at our salvation. It's almost like the angels are in heaven going, what in the world's going down down there? What is that? What is that all about? What is this? What, how does this work? They're peering into it. And just like Peter was overcome with the sense of awe and of wonder and amazement at that empty tomb, the angels in heaven look on to us and our salvation, our redemption, and they're, they're somewhat baffled by it. You understand, angels are not omniscient. They're not like God. They don't know everything. And so it kind of begs the question, well, what is it about our salvation that is so amazing to them? Well, certainly they understand the facts because they can, they know the Bible. They know human history better than us. They've observed it. They know the timeline. They're familiar with the truth of Scripture and the facts of salvation. They know about it. But here's the difference. They've never experienced it. The angels in heaven have never experienced redemption like you and I have who have trusted Christ as their Savior. They're looking on, watching it happen, and to them, there's a curiosity about it. A certain sense of, huh. I, I tried to think how I could illustrate this. And forgive me if this is a bad illustration. But the best way I can describe it is like this. They say that the worst pain a person could ever experience is in childbirth. I believe that. But I've never experienced it. <laughs> And so the angels, they look on at our salvation and they're like, okay, I, yeah, I, yeah, I understand to a degree, but I don't know it by experience. And again, the curiosity, it's, it stems from the fact that, that it is not their salvation, it is our salvation. And so they will never be able to know it as we do. We have something very special in our salvation. So special that even the angels of heaven wish they could know more about it. There was a Christian musician many years ago by the name of George Beverly Shea. You're probably familiar, many of you are at least probably familiar with that name. And he wrote a song that I think expresses it very well. There's the wonder of sunset at evening, the wonder as sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder 
that God loves me. There's the wonder of springtime and harvest, the sky, the stars, the sun. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is a wonder that's only begun. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Salvation by grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a wonderful mystery. So wonderful that the prophets who predicted it were eager to learn more about it. So wonderful that the angels of heaven lean over the balcony to glory to get a closer look. And yet this mystery has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit so that we might accept it and be saved. Friend, don't lose the wonder of salvation. And if you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I tell you, that all that we've talked about tonight, that Jesus did in coming to this earth to die for our sins, be buried and rise again, He did it for you so that you might be saved. All you have to do is accept by faith the gift of salvation. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for giving us Your Son and giving us salvation through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not lose the wonder of it. Lord, that we would live every day filled with praise and gratitude. You would love us so much to save us from our sins. Help us to remember that our salvation is a very special thing and not to take it for granted. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.